with eating disorder recovery, you have to eat a large quantity of food, a variety of food. You have to feel full. You have to actually gain weight if you have anorexia nervosa or ARFID. And this, this puts you essentially in a constant state of being in exposure therapy and it's extremely intensive and it, I don't understand, I can't understand how anybody could do that on their own or be motivated to constantly put themselves in a state of fearfulness. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, you're going to hear the conversation that I have with Tara Diliberto. Now, Tara heads up the Eating Disorders Partial Hospitalization Program for the New York Presbyterian Hospital. It's a fabulous program, and we spoke about it before in a previous podcast, which I will link to. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of treating the eating disorder with food-based therapy first for a person who is underweight. So we go into the reasons why that's incredibly important to get the body into a state of or out of a state of malnutrition before looking into treating the trigger or the underlying causes that may have provoked the eating disorder in the first place. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Actually, the first thing that we speak about here is um, eating disorder therapists that were at one time eating disorder sufferers. I was just interested in Tara's opinion on how that goes and if it's okay, if it's a benefit, if it's not a benefit. So we just have a, we started with a, um, a general conversation around that and that's what we'll dive into now. So I think that the um, problem or the, not even the problem, the discussion around therapists as eating disorder um, or ex-sufferers as eating disorder therapists, I think it's an important one. I think I don't. I think I am guilty of bulldozing in on it a little bit too much and just saying, oh, you, you know, people that suffer from an eating disorder shouldn't be eating disorder therapists. And you know, in truth, I do know of some that have suffered themselves that have gone on to be really fabulous eating disorder therapists. So you know, I do know <laughs> that I bulldoze in on that too much. Um, but yeah, I'd love I'd love your thoughts on that. Um, so in terms of um, thinking about um, whether or not someone that's recovered from an eating disorder should become a therapist. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, on one hand, I think that it's very difficult for someone that has had an eating disorder to fully trust whether or not they're they're fully recovered to some degree because of anosognosia, right? The idea that we don't know what we don't know or we can't recognize um, that there's a, a problem, um, mm-hmm. when it's happening. Right. So, um, so that is certainly a really big obstacle. I think that one would have to overcome if one had an eating disorder and wanted to become an eating disorders therapist. That being said, I think that some people that I've met certainly have 100% fully recovered, really no themselves really know whether or not the eating disorder is kind of creeping back in. And after a certain period of time, um, I think that, that people can become effective eating disorder therapists, but there are a lot of things that need to be in place, I would imagine, um, in order to kind of ensure that, that eating disorder doesn't creep back in or doesn't interfere with the, the treatment of others. Because in, you know, when, when you're becoming a therapist, you need to put your patients first. And in order to do that, you need to make sure that you really um, are taking care of yourself in 
appropriate ways, like going to therapy, um, making sure that your therapist knows that, uh, or asks rather, um, how things are going in terms of your body image, in terms of your eating. That's what I would imagine would need to be done. Um, but past a certain point, maybe, you know, that, that wouldn't even need to be discussed in therapy if someone is really, really recovered. But, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is it really depends on the person. Um, I think that there are some eating disorder therapists out there who are recovered and are fantastic and are really, truly recovered and will likely stay that way. And some people maybe who are, are not fully there yet. I also, people often say to me, well, it's, it's better if said therapist has, has experienced an eating disorder themselves because they have more compassion. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true myself. Um, I don't think you, I feel like you having compassion is one thing. I don't feel that necessarily in order to treat, especially someone that's underweight and needs to eat. I don't necessarily think that it's always better if somebody has had an eating disorder and has experienced that. I absolutely agree. I think that it, it certainly depends. Now, from the patient perspective, though, I, I'm wondering if certain patients would prefer that their eating disorder therapist had recovered themselves. So maybe the, the patient would feel that they could relate more. But that's a that's also uh, an you know an individual preference um, for the patient. It's not that all patients would prefer that their therapists were recovered, but maybe some would. Particularly, I would imagine like in the beginning stages of treatment, if there's lots of shame, knowing that your therapist has overcome an eating disorder might help people to, um, feel more safe or protected. Um, but again, that, that really depends on the person. And I, I don't think that, uh, having had an eating disorder necessarily makes one more compassionate or less compassionate. I think those, those constructs are pretty separate also. Yeah. Um, so something that has, um, come up a lot in questions I've had this week is people, um, who are in talk therapy um, or di maybe a different a sort of psychotherapy for an eating disorder. And uh, I pretty much always just say you, you just need, you need to go and see a therapist that's going to get you weight restored and you're wasting your time and money, which again, with, with, with talk therapy, which again is a bit of a sort of like blanket and probably a bulldozing statement. Um, and I do, but I do get a lot of questions around this, the difference between using psychotherapy or talk therapy, talking about emotions a lot, and actually just then all going to see somebody that is going to get you to eat. Sure. So if we're, we're dealing with um, disorders where people are underweight, secondary to a fear of eating because of fear of weight gain or fear of choking, for instance, like in ARFID. Um, so for people who have anorexia nervosa and... Uh, or I should say, or ARFID. Um, yes, I absolutely believe that weight restoration needs to be the target of that treatment. Now, those treatments could involve talking and, and behavioral therapies could fall under the umbrella of general talk therapies because they're not pharmacotherapies or they're not um, you know, ECT or things like that. So a specific form of talk therapy, be, meaning behavior therapy, I think needs to be uh, needs to be implemented first for many, many different reasons. Um, I have people come in all the time and say things like, well, you know, we're not getting to the underlying problem if we're focusing on food and focusing on, uh, weight restoration. And sure that that's true. However, 
um, or I should say, and at the same time, um, when someone is underweight, their brain isn't going to be functioning properly, right? Um, we, we have evidence that brain mass can actually decrease in size when someone is underweight, just like the rest of the body could decrease in size, the brain could decrease in size. And, you know, with that comes this real rigidity and inflexibility. And also, um, emotions tend to be pretty dysregulated when, people are underweight. They don't have the ability to control their emotions in the same way as if they're, they were, um, either normal weight or weight restored. Um, so first things first, we need to make sure that someone is not in physical danger from being underweight and that they can get themselves to a point where their brain is fully functioning, more flexible, more able to, to control emotions because you can't dive in to treating the quote unquote underlying problem, whatever that may be, if, if you're physically, um, at risk. So what we do is, um, we of course focus on, um, uh, food and eating food and eating, um, variety of food, but even beyond variety of food in the beginning, eating the quantity of food that's needed for weight restoration. So, um, that is the, the first layer of treatment. And then as we progress in treatment, we can focus on different things. So once someone is weight restored, then I might do something like say, hey, let's construct what's called a fear hierarchy. Let's rate your foods on a scale of zero to 10 from what are the easiest foods in the zero range all the way up to what are the most scary foods for you to eat in the 10 range. And let's work on food variety. So first we work on the eating disorder behavior of restriction. So restricting the overall amount of food or calories one is eating. And we, we make sure the person's eating a, the proper quantity of food. Then we would say, well, what foods are you avoiding? Let's go get over that fear of food. So that's kind of like one layer deeper Then one layer deeper under that is, well, why was it so scary for you? If we're dealing with someone that has anorexia nervosa to gain weight in the first place, what does it mean if you gain weight, okay, maybe you're afraid that you'll be rejected. Maybe you're afraid that you'll be a failure, failure, or that you won't be the best. And so we can start to to dig down deeper into you know what associations were being made with fat. But that's only after somebody is medically stable and and they're eating in a way that is is um, physically healthy and also psychologically healthy. Yeah. And um, it's interesting the talk of underlying problems and um, I, the reason I think it's interesting is because the different way that mental illnesses are approached, say from a physical illness. I mean, I, I always like to use the example of, you know, because the underlying problems might be the thing that actually triggered or activated the eating disorder. Um, so, you know, um, fear of being fat or not wanting to, uh, or wanting to go on a diet because thinking, you know, I'll be more accepted if I'm, if I'm slightly skinnier. But, you know, that, that to me is, is rather like someone going into the doctor and that's discovered they've got lung cancer and the doctor saying, well, before we, we put you into treatment for the lung cancer, we need to work out why you started smoking in the first place, if that lung cancer was caused by smoking. You know, and, and you just wouldn't do that with that sort of disease. You treat the illness in its present state first and foremost and get the person back to a state of a healthy body before you'd start to talk about, so why was it you started smoking in the first place? 
I'm sitting here nodding my head. I, I can't agree more. And um, I, if you don't mind, I might use that analogy when explaining this concept because it's such a good one and it really gets the point across. Yeah, I, I, I mean, in that circumstance, you would think of treating the uh, underlying cause first as madness. Um, right. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You you could die of this this, this cancer. You should, we should absolutely treat that first. And that's actually the same in eating disorders. The person could die of malnutrition. Um, it could be serious medical consequences of not treating that first. Absolutely, absolutely. I think a lot of people come into treatment um, thinking that. Um, treatment for anorexia nervosa, ARFID, or any other eating disorder is really, uh, you know, the same, that it would require coming in, sitting on a couch, um, and, and just thinking that things would kind of progress as, as normal. But really this is a, this treatment process is a totally different, um, it, it requires a totally different approach which is a very practical approach that is focused on decreasing medical risk and increasing physical health along with psychological health and, and done in a much more practical way, which is very, I mean, it's very difficult to undergo this type of treatment to say the least. It's so important to undergo this whole process of treatment, which is eating whatever it is, three meals, two snacks a day in the volume that is appropriate for weight gain um, in order to overcome this disorder in the, in the first phase. And it does not involve sitting on a couch, talking for an hour, going home, and then not, not following up on any of the behavioral pieces that involve eating and actually gaining weight. Those must occur in order for recovery to occur. Yeah, and one of my biggest frustrations, Tara, and this is one of the ones where I like, feel like I'm banging my head against the wall as I'm <laughs> talking to a sufferer, and they're in talk therapy, psychotherapy, and I'm like, well, how long have you been in psychotherapy and are you weight restored? And Oh, I've been in, you know, I've been in therapy two years, and, well, no, I'm not weight restored. And right. sort of, well, maybe you should just stop that, stop spending money on that right now, and go to a therapist that's going to, get you to eat and get weight on you. But then the argument there is, well, I need the psychotherapy to get me ready to eating, to, 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 right. to tackling eating. It's like, no, because you're never going to be ready. That day's not going to come. Right. You're never going to want to do that. With all the psychotherapy in the world, you're never going to be ready to start eating. I couldn't agree more. Motivation does not precede behavior change change, sorry, behavior change happens first and then motivation comes second. If it, if it ever comes, I mean, you just kind of have to do it, throw yourself into the mix. And then once you get used to, to eating and, and you habituate to the idea or you get used to the idea of facing your fear and your fear goes down, then maybe you'll be motivated to eat. But it, it really, uh, it really doesn't happen the other way around. <laughs> Yes, and it's a difficult one. So how do we get around that with adult sufferers, especially that don't have a parent there to just kick them in to seeing someone that will make them eat? That's such a good question. So there are a couple ways to answer that, I, I think. Um, first, there are programs that can help adults to weight restore, or even if people have eating disorders who are not underweight, to just eat normally, like the program that I direct at New York Presbyterian and Wild Cornell. So in this program, 
we take people from inpatient units who might have been held against their will um, on the unit, and then they might be discharged to our program after um, a time on the unit, weight restoring, and um, getting used to this fear that comes along with eating, having the fear decrease a little bit. And and after that process has been started on the inpatient unit, maybe they'll be more amenable to actually recovering when they start to see the benefit or experience and live the benefits of what it's like to be at a slightly higher weight than when they came into the unit um, or, or an increase or a substantial um, increase from when they went on the unit, but still are not fully weight restored. So, you know, one way to get people into treatment, if, if they really are very, very, very ill and are, for instance, below 80% of what their healthy weight should be, then that's kind of a, a, a rule of thumb for hospitalization. Um, and so if people are even more substantially underweight and depending upon the cir- circumstances, maybe their doctors can actually mandate that they go to treatment. Now, I don't like the idea of forcing people into treatment. However, after seeing people who are mandated to get treatment, at least partially recover and experience the benefits of recovering and then start to feel that motivation to recover. And, and you see, you, you can see with your eyeballs how, how much healthier people can get after a mandated treatment, both medically and, 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 um, psychologically, you know, your thoughts, if you, if one, I should say, were against mandated treatment after experiencing or seeing, um, how much better people can get, maybe thoughts would change on that. So that's, that's kind of one avenue into treatment if um, one doesn't want to get treatment. Now, that's, it's an extreme one, um, but there are less extreme versions as well. So in the program that I run, it's called a partial hospitalization program, and it runs from 8.30 to 3, Monday through Friday, and we do breakfast, lunch, and snack in the program um, each weekday. Uh, we we try to, if, if people are motivated to, to enter that level of care, we try to get family members involved so that um, motivation, which waxes and wanes and uh, over time in treatment, uh, maybe, you know, when motivation is waning, we try to get family members involved to, to help the, the patient recover um, and eat outside of, uh, outside of care. So that's kind of another way. So kind of getting people into a program and then taking it from there. Once the person's in the program, then we could give lots of psychoeducation about the benefits of recovering and how to involve family members to help people get recovered. And that that's really um, it right now. I think I, there's, not, there's not too many more ways I can think of other than putting lots of resources out there on the internet and educating doctors and psychologists to educate their patients that talk therapy really isn't the way to go. And hopefully after, you know, a, a person has been urged by professionals to enter either a treatment program or enter behavior therapy, then maybe more people would be amenable to, to doing this kind of work that's much harder to do, but it's much more effective. You're right. I mean, it's, it is the difference. The big difficulty is, is that it is much harder to do. And for an adult sufferer, given the choice of, oh, hey, you know, you could just go in and, and talk to someone about all this stuff and talk about your emotions and talk about your emotions around food and then that'll be it. 
or you could go and see someone that's going to make you eat, which is the, pretty much the same as saying, let's go and see someone that's going to push you off a cliff. Right. You know, which, which, which choice are you going to make? You're going to, you're going to take the easy option, which is psychotherapy. I know I would have done. I didn't even do that. In fact, <laughs> you know, that's how resistant I was, but you know what? I really wish that I wish that someone had forced me. I wish they'd been, a, you know, forced me into, um, inpatient treatment because it, it would have just stopped 10 years of um, life wastage. No, absolutely. And, and hearing people like yourself who have recovered from this say things like, I wish someone would have pushed me into treatment. It, it gives me the confidence as a clinician to push and to make those decisions a little bit less fearfully um, because when you when you see when you when you see people who have recovered say that you know for instance they have their life back and they wasted so much time in the disorder you know you you, you can be equipped as a clinician with that knowledge and with that confidence that you're making the right decision because when someone is pushing back so hard against treatment it can be really difficult to stick to your guns and it's so important to never lose sight of the fact that this is a disorder that kills and it will kill if left to its own devices. Like the, if the eating disorder wins, a person dies and it really is that dire. And the more time I spend in this field and the more people who I know and who I hear about who pass away from this disorder, the more resolute I become as a clinician in, in, in saying, no, you absolutely, in order to recover, need to eat. You cannot waste time in th talk therapy. You cannot waste money in talk therapy. You need to eat. You need to be weight restored and you need to face your fears of weight gain. And there are people out there that can help with this. And there are people that know about it. And there are resources out there that, that can help you and to make it a little bit less terrifying and to make you feel a little bit more supported. Yeah, and I think, again, a large difference is that now there's programs such as yours which which are showing, you know, the success is so much greater. You know, I think maybe when 10 years ago when, when I was really sick, I was very resistant to going to treatment, but most of that treatment was psychotherapy. And so I think that partly I kind of knew that wouldn't help um, mm -hmm. because I didn't need to talk about it. <laughs> right. But, but now I, I, I feel that I can also say to people with, with real conviction, if you go to the right place to get treated, you will get better. You will. Yes. You, that, yeah. that will happen for you. And mm -hmm. way faster than it did for me. Um, whereas if you don't, then I can also pretty much say with conviction, you will either die from this or you'll just lead a really miserable half-life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. A, a miserable half-life death. And then for some people, some people recovery is possible without treatment, I believe, but it is not a risk that I would be willing to take with my life or with a family member or a loved one or anyone's life. Um, you know, that leaving eating disorder recovery up to chance is so terrifying just as an idea. I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. I think that going into a structured program where there's meal support is, is a fantastic way to go. Also, um, there's a, a service of eating disorder recovery service, EDRS, 
And this is a, a company that employs eating coaches. And these eating coaches are social workers or people who maybe have recovered and, and have skills about how to coach um, others. Um, the, these services will come to your home and you can, you can eat meals with someone that um, has experience uh, with meal coaching. And that seems like a really fantastic idea to me. And it's a fantastic idea for so many reasons. Um, as a psychologist, when I just going back a little bit and, and or rather stepping back and taking a look at what recovery from an eating disorder entails, it is much more difficult. I would imagine than recovering from any sort of other anxiety disorder for several reasons. Um, and I've said this before, um, and I'll say it again, when someone has an eating disorder, it, particularly if they're underweight, they are in a state of constant exposure. You're not only exposing yourself to eating one food that you're afraid of one hour a week, which would be something like if you had a phobia, you could go to behavior therapy and you could you know, see a spider for an hour uh, a week and kind of habituate to that fear and, and be on your way. And you can go back the next week with eating disorder recovery. You have to eat a large quantity of food, a variety of food. You have to feel full. You have to actually gain weight if you have anorexia nervosa or ARFID. And this, this puts you essentially in a constant state of being in exposure therapy and it's extremely intensive and it, I don't understand. I, I can't understand how anybody could do that on their own or be motivated to constantly put themselves in a state of fearfulness, particularly if someone needs to have a job in order to function or care for a family or even care for themselves. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it that to me, it only makes sense that programs or something like EDRS or having family members be supportive would work. I, I, I wouldn't, I can't imagine it working any other way. Treatment must be supported. Quite. Treatment must be supported. And take it from someone who did do it on their own. And it took 10 years. And that was not fun. It was not a good way to spend 10 years. It doesn't have to take you 10 years. The treatment options are out there. The support is out there. The science is out there and the therapy is out there. The food-based therapy is out there. We know it works. So please, please get your treatment supported. Um, joy to speak to Tara, as always. The next question that I asked her was, where can people find out more about her? Sure. So unfortunately, we still don't have information up on New York Presbyterian's website about the program. It will be on our website soon. Um, I have a blog, taradeliberto.blogspot.com. I also have a website for um, a treatment that I created called Bite. And the website is www.bite-ed.com. And I also have a Twitter handle at taradeliberto. Thank you. And thank you for talking to me today. I, I, it's, such, um, it's, it's, again, really important information. And I really hope that some people will listen to this and just if they're on the fence about do I need treatment, do I need help, you know, if it, if it turns one person's head and makes them understand, then I'd be really happy about that. I appreciate it. It was time. worth it, for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Okay. Thank you again, Tara, for that. 
I have links to all Tara Di Liberto's information on the show notes to this episode. So you can go there and you can get links to all of those things that we spoke about. Thank you for listening. I hope you found it helpful. Remember, if you are a adult in eating disorder recovery, active eating disorder recovery, and you want to join the Slack group, which is like an online forum that I've set up, which is peer support for adults in active eating disorder recovery. It's a very um, action orientated support forum. It's somewhere that we go to just actually push each other to take that extra step when you're fighting fear foods or getting through meal plans and you're doing it at home with the help of family or um, a spouse or a partner or, or even if you've gone back to live with a parent. I also am setting up a Slack forum for parents, spouses, partners, friends, loved ones of adult sufferers of eating disorders who are in recovery. So that's somewhere that you can go to learn more about how you can take the principles of family-based therapy and apply them to your home and help a sufferer who is in your home. So yeah, um, let, get in contact with me if you want to join either of those. My email address is info, I-N-F-O, at tabithafra.com and you can find out about both of those forums on my website. Thanks for listening. Cheers. And until next time, cheerio.